So really circular economy is how do we reinvent our whole infrastructure to really think about materials and use them more efficiently, build better products that last longer. Thank you for being on the ESG Matters podcast. And I really am interested to talk to you about your background and things that you're working on currently. So for the people out there, can you just give us a little bit of background on who you are and how you came into sustainability? Sure. Amat, we've met and talked a long time ago. Um, so it's been a number of years that we've both been in the space. But my name's Maureen Stroud. And I am the founder and managing director of Shinka Sustainability Consultants and have been in the sustainability space since about 2002 um, in some aspect of environmental or sustainability work. Um, and it's been quite an interesting journey to where I am now and running my own business, which isn't where I had thought I was going to land um, on this journey. But we can talk more about how um, that journey started and where it ended as we go through the conversation, I'm sure. Yes. And I think one of the beauties about being in sustainability is that there's always this, I intended to do one thing and I've wound up doing something else. And I'm sure that sort of mirrors the entrepreneurship journey that you've had to take, that you've taken. And kudos to you, because that is, as a someone who had a parent who had their own business, I understand from, at least from the outside, looking in how hard that is and how it's really a lot on your shoulders. So I do commend you on that, because that is not necessarily the easiest road to take, but it is rewarding. Yeah. And to that point, I came to this point after being in corporate for about six years, managing a sustainability program for a large multinational uh, publicly traded company. Um, and prior to that, uh, worked in stakeholder engagement for industry level sustainability standards. And I think that's where we met Amat at the U.S. Green Building Council conference one year probably almost 10 years ago now. We're not going to date ourselves. So we're just going to say it was in the past. <laughs> <laughs> sometime, sometime back in the day. And prior to that, worked in hazardous waste and remediation for large military and DOD clients. So I've been in consulting. I started in consulting and now I've come full circle back to consulting and really enjoying working with clients on circular economy and uh, greenhouse gases and climate change issues and looking at their strategies around ESG and sustainability. Now, you bring up a really interesting topic, uh, circular economy. I'll say about three to four years ago, that's when I started hearing the phrase and the concepts of circular economy starting to emerge from a variety of different sources. It's still an emerging concept and idea. So I would like for you to, if you can, sort of give a synopsis of what that means to you and how that interplays with the various sort of roles that you have as a consultant and, and things of that nature. Yeah. And for me, it was around the same time, about three or four years ago, where circular economy became its own um it's kind of its own thing. Prior to that, it was always about waste minimization or better recycling systems or more recycling systems. Um, but really, circular economy is taking a material or an idea and figuring out how it can be either reused or the extending the life of that product 
And it really starts with the design of the product and how you're going to use those materials and really planning for what happens to the product after its first useful life. I think that, you know, we always plan, you know, a linear product cycle where we develop something, we make it, we use it, and then we throw it away. You know, that linear cycle is um, not really, not really utilizing these really valuable materials very effectively and efficiently and, you know, really not using the earth's resources, you know, very appropriately because most of those products are only used for a very short period of time and then thrown away. So really circular economy is how do we reinvent our whole infrastructure to really think about materials and use them more efficiently, build better products that last longer, and really to understand how to repair, um, whether we use modular types of products where you can replace different components like they have for Fairphone um, and some other products that are coming out, or you know, how do we continue to give that product a second life? Yeah. And I think one thing that when I think about circular economy, one of the things that I sort of use to explain to people is that it's almost like recycling 2.0, where oftentimes at the beginning, part of recycling, people thought of once you use a product, like you said, you're then trying to find a way sort of by happenstance to change it into something else that's useful or to recycle it. Whereas this is being, like you said, being very thoughtful on when you're designing it, how many uses can this product have and how can it be best served? How can it be best serve the needs of the end consumer and consumers further down the value chain? Uh, One other thing that I really like about uh, circular economy is the idea of a product as a service, because I think that's something that for a lot of businesses that are really, really entrenched in the old linear model, having something, a product as a service, similar to software as a service, opens up new opportunities from a business development standpoint that oftentimes they never even thought of, right? Because that, that makes for a lot of people more sense to say, I can do this and here's a financial return on it because it's opening up new products to customers who ordinarily couldn't afford it or had concerns about the value of my product and the end use of it. So I didn't know if you, um, in your work, if you've ran into some really interesting circular economy examples or programs that you thought could be wider implemented with other companies or other industries. Yeah, that's a great question. And when we think of products as a service, as opposed to, you know, thinking about buying a product and having to maintain it and use it. And I think of immediately of the concept of Zipcar or some of these car sharing programs where, you know, you have the use of a car whenever you want it, um, but you don't have to figure out how to park it, where to get gas, do the maintenance and everything else, but you have it when you need it. And I lived in Chicago for a number of years and when I was in graduate school and used Zipcar on a regular basis. And it was nice not to have to worry about, you know, all of the other aspects that come with owning a car. You go and you use the car when you need it and it's there and you can reserve it as you as you need it as opposed to trying to manage it in the city. Obviously, that doesn't work in every place where you would have to try to find a touch point to pick up a vehicle. But that's one that I thought has worked well. I mean, Lyft and, and Uber are an extension of that kind of concept where, you know, you're using a driver and his vehicle. But 
I think that's the start of where we need to start thinking about this and um, enabling all of us to have that kind of service thought process. Yes, I, I couldn't agree with you more. One of the things that I've struggled with when it comes to the idea of circular economy is I often find that there are pockets within a company that are doing cir- circularity, print- implementing circularity principles, but the name sort of scares people off. And they're like, no, 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 I don't, I, no, I'm not going to do that. But when you break down the concept to people, they're like, actually, what you're talking about is really good business. How are you planning? Right. And I think generally with sustainability, there's this idea, this old, very old and antiquated notion that sustainability means you put the environment first and everything else is not even secondary, it's tertiary. Whereas for folks like us who are in the field, who've been doing it for longer than not, there's this nuance where you have to balance the life of a corporation and the value a corporation brings, which is profit, to be quite blunt, But how do you make profit in a way that is sustainable, not just from a product or service perspective, but also from a longevity? How do you make sure that company is able to manage its resources in an efficient manner so that way when more natural disasters occur, you're not necessarily uh, strapped for resources in a way that you currently are now, and you're not, when it comes to circularity, you're really saying, we have built this product in a way that the carbon footprint has significantly decreased. And why that's important is that our customers care about it, our investors care about it if we're in the public market. And it's also a way that we can help governments before they start to regulate, say, this is how we are, this is how we're a good corporate citizen. So I think um, one of the things that I've struggled with has been saying, getting people to say, I hear what you're saying. I understand the reticence that you have about this, but here are all the benefits. And I I wonder when you're in this space and you're talking to all these different companies, because you have such a great breadth and depth of experience working not just in one industry or with one or two places, but a lot of different places. So you've seen a wide swath of both the positive and negatives of, of what's happening with sustainability. What has been your experience when when trying to push, not push, but trying to educate Mm -hmm. circularity to some people who may be a little bit more reticent than not? I think sometimes the reticence comes from what you said earlier in terms of, you know, that sustainability would come first and all the other business needs would come second or third. To me, it's really about managing resources, right? Which is about supply chain issues and lean and efficiency. I mean, obviously, I came into this with a passion for environmental impact and managing um, the natural environment and really understanding the focus of how business can make that change. So I don't come from it from a place of business only, but I think that the two are intertwined because we get all of our raw materials to make every product that we make from the earth. So there's a finite amount of resources. So if we all use those resources more efficiently, we'll be able to sustain our our lifestyles and our and our needs much longer than if we, you know, just make or take those resources, make something. Um, use it and dispose of it. Um, we're not incorporating the value into the business case of the the materials that we've purchased and we've mined and we've brought to the 
brought to, through the supply chain to manufacturing. And then we've gone through distribution to get all those products to market to the end user. And then we, at the end of the time, all those materials just go into a landfill. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, those materials to be used in a different way. And thinking of it just beyond recycling, where you're just harvesting those materials and trying to get those materials back. But how do we really like think about um, designing the product and then what pieces come off to become some other product or to be put into another use beyond just the the metals or the plastic um, that goes into it. So I think that's going to be the really interesting part for business to start to think about how to manage the value of their entire value chain from raw material to the second life of the product. To answer your other question about longevity, I mean, that's a fight, right? We make product and we're competing against other product manufacturers on price and on attributes and on consumer benefits. That one's a little bit harder to unlock, right? Because it has to... I think that's going to come from regulatory drivers like, they, like they're trying to do in Europe. So that will be, remain to be seen in terms of... Um, how regulations drive change and what kinds of innovation come from that process. Yeah, you bring up a good point about the role of governments in this process. I would say right now, my take is that with circular economy, the desire to incorporate in, into any sort of existing regulations is nascent at this point. But I would say it's also it's at the same point maybe five years ago that uh, sustainability reporting was for the SEC in the U.S., where people began to say it would be interesting if, or perhaps maybe, but no, we don't ever think that's going to happen. And now it looks more likely than not. So I think, to your point, the governments of the world will have to encourage through incentives or disincentives the the inclusion of uh, regulations or laws that encourage the adoption of circularity principles. From your point of view, how would you see or where do you see those regulations first coming from? In the U.S., like at the federal, state, or local level? Would it be someplace like the U, the EU? Just, just to get that sort of perspective of what you would think would happen first. Sure. Yeah. In my previous corporate role, I was following this pretty closely because Europe is actually leading um, regulations in the circular economy principles space. They're not funding full circularity, but they're focusing on the concepts of repairability, longevity, reuse, and recycling amongst a couple of other tenants as well. But they're really focusing on requirements for manufacturers to be able to meet the product has to last 10 years. And if it's, you know, something like a computer even would have to last 10 years. So they're going to have to figure out how they can upgrade a system while still meeting that 10 year life. Because as you know, I mean, the computer, for example, I mean, you have it three years and the components are obsolete and it doesn't run the programs that you want it to run um, as technology continues to advance. So there's some concepts around um, upgradability as well built into that. We're not seeing that in the U.S. Um, Canada is probably likely to follow Europe in that regard. And they've been looking at some circularity uh, concepts. I think in the U.S., we have a lot of private and grassroots movement in this space around uh, materials marketplaces that are popping up 
Um, there's one in Michigan. There's one in Tennessee. There's one that they're trying to get up and running in Seattle. Um, you know, where companies or organizations can say, hey, I have all of these different materials. And then that can be a marketplace where people can find materials or figure out how to reuse materials um, that come into the marketplace. So it's a way to match up buyers and sellers and traders that have materials and other people that want different types of materials. So there's some movement in the US. It's just not coming from any regulatory body at this stage. Yeah, it's interesting. I was really unfamiliar with the idea of materials marketplace. And that sounds like such an opportunity because I know at the companies that I've worked at, there's been an issue of we have this leftover or excess, what can we do with it? Or because of the nature of for security purposes, we can't use this equipment we thought we could. How do we, how can we dispose of it in a way that respects the earth, but also serves our purpose of making sure that it's not something that, you know, someone can use use um, or get, get information from. So I think that's a really, uh, really unique pro- uh, process and something that I would hope more would come out and maybe just outside of just some, some of the more liberal-leaning places in the U.S., maybe some places where there's more of a need and more of a desire to build up local economies, right? These Rust Belt cities that we have in the U.S., is there an opportunity to say you have a lot of institutional knowledge, you have a lot of manufacturing opportunities and people who have that skill set and education, is there a way for them to leverage the materials marketplace to create things that are new and innovative in a way that speaks to their ability without having to move outside of their local community to to do. So I think that's a really interesting thing. I do wonder um, when you think about sort of the strategic partners of some of the larger circular economy foundations like the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, you see that companies like BlackRock are a partner, right? And that makes me think about the interplay similarly with the government. How will investors in the invest in the investment the professionals drive some of this because from my experience within circularity and without there's been this inertia that is overcome when Larry Fink uh, Mm -hmm. CEO of BlackRock sends out a letter or is sitting and talking to a CEO and then all of a sudden it becomes a great the thing that you've been working on in sustainability is now the most important thing for that CEO and most top of mind. And all of a sudden (laughs) the floodgates open and you have all these resources you never knew you had. So I wonder if you've experienced that in sustainability where, you know, the investment community has pushed and prodded organizations you work for in a way that sort of had them sit up and take notice of it. Or have you been in a situation where you wish that the investor community was really engaged in this topic because you know their engagement could make the difference between action and inaction. I mean, I think that the pressure from the investor community builds a business case, right? I mean, that that creates the demand for the work that we've been doing um, for years and kind of gives it, you know, gives it value um, from a business standpoint. And that's always kind of the question when you're um, pushing a sustainability program or your or a project or an initiative and trying to get it through 
um, the approval process within a large corporation. I mean, you're competing with funding and capital investment from a lot of different parts of the organization. And there's a decision factor there in terms of what the business need is. And I think that having the support from the investor community and having the drivers from uh, BlackRock and Larry Fink um, really pushing for some of these, uh, what starts with reporting, right? And then becomes value to the organization. It's really a driver that speaks to businesses, right? I mean, the old adage of money talks and... And I think that that's what we need as a catalyst to incorporate sustainability into business and make some of these concepts real. Yeah, I I 100% agree with you. And I think there's also an opportunity here for people who are in the investment field to understand that it's not just activist investors who play a critical component. I would say it's even more important for the CalPERS, the CalSTRS of the world who are much more conservative in their investment philosophy to incorporate some of these ideas into the value that they are when they value a company. Because when you think about circularity, it's really saying, how can we perform better? A lot of what sustainability really is is saying, like you said, Maureen, there's a finite amount of resources, including people. How are you utilizing the resources you have to not only meet the needs of today, but also set your business up in a way for success in the future. We know that the world is getting more competitive. We know that there's a lot less resources. We know that climate change is, for most people in the world, is a very real and present situation. We've even seen uh, with COVID, when everyone was locked down like a year ago uh, in 2020, how literally the skies opened up, right? Like. The skies were blue in places that haven't been blue in years. Water was clear in, in the Venice Canal for the first time in such a long time. And it's because our impact on the environment is critical. And how do, can we pull that back in a way that the business will be able to sustain? You'll have customers that will be able to sustain and also make sure that there's more resources for future growth. And also, how are you going to work in a constrained environment? So I think for investors, particularly, if they don't look at something like circular economy, they're missing a big a big opportunity here to really set value and set a difference between their investment philosophy and another investment philosophy and the calculus that they use. And kind of speaking of investing, you've invested in yourself and we talked about this a little bit before when you started your own business. So, you know, you're starting a business that is sustainability in focus, sustainability in nature, sustainability throughout. And I just want to talk with you a little bit about that and say, like, just to understand sort of what are your offerings and what drove you to this point? So my goals around the business have been really to help organizations find their way in this innovation space. We figured out how to do energy efficiency. We've solved some of these problems around renewable energy. We've even solved a lot of the issues with recycling and materials and using bio-based materials for different functions. So some of the questions that we had five or 10 years ago, we've, we've solved some of those, right? And now they're kind of stable stakes and, you know, they're, but really the new frontier is 
around this ESG space and what we're going to do in terms of sustainability and how that's going to affect business and what how to reset the strategy and really drive opportunity to businesses. And not just for doing the right thing or for energy efficiency, but how do we really build in um, the opportunity and risk evaluation uh, around environmental impacts for the business? And then circular economy and climate change are going to be two of the biggest problems, I think, that are on the horizon for us as a, as a society to solve. And I like big challenges. So I like being able to look this in the face and say, okay, how do we connect the dots with circular economy? And how does circular economy help to to reduce the amount of uh, greenhouse gases that are in the atmosphere because they do somewhat go hand in hand and really working to educate and to bring stakeholders along the journey of discovery. So I have some tools that I've been investing in when we talk about investing in ourselves. Um, I've been involved in a group called Circulab, and it's a global network of circular economy practitioners. Um, We all are using this toolkit called the Circulab Toolkit. And it's really a um, value chain mapping exercise that you work on with stakeholders and you bring stakeholders on the journey with you. You you set up either a theoretical or a real um, business a scenario around circular economy that you want to solve. And you bring a bunch of diverse stakeholders, either from within an organization to solve a specific problem, or, you know, as a trade association could use it, or you could use it for educational purposes to really bring in, you know, supply chain and marketing and product development and innovation teams and finance all in the room to say, to bring in their different perspectives to really map out where are you now And then how do you solve a problem like, you know, what if you weren't able to use plastic in your products anymore? What would you do? And then you can start to shape, you know, what that could look like to solve that aspect of circular economy and start to do incorporate that into your business planning and your thought process. So I have a number of different things that I am working on and that I am interested in working on with companies, but really looking at, you know, what's the next frontier within sustainability and how do we start to build that infrastructure and that that new, I guess, business walk through business transformation and the change management process that comes with that and really start to put the rubber to the road of where we're all where we're trying to go and really make it make business sense. Yeah. And I think the idea of connecting the dots to so many of these opportunities when you're talking about driving opportunities, solving big challenges and utilizing the toolkit. For me, as someone working in the corporate sustainability world, a service like that is really helpful because oftentimes you need to have um, a clarion call where you can bring so many different stake internal stakeholders together and have a have a discussion about, you know, I know you, you've, you've told me multiple times, no, that this can't be done. And for a variety of reasons, some of which I understand, some of which I may not, but let's, let's play, let's think, mm-hmm. let's really have a discussion because there may be a time, you know, this pandemic that we're all going through has shown us that things that were often outside of the realm of reality can become your new normal. How do you manage this? How can you manage a world in which maybe the cost of plastics is so high that it's cost prohibitive to use it in the way that we've used it? Maybe because the regulations or investor 
request, there's a desire to have this new product or service meet these requirements we never have considered. But let's really think about this in a way and say, how can we address it? So it's great that you talked about it from almost like a business continuity plan, because a lot of what we're talking about here can be framed in that way. And I think for a lot of professionals who are working in sustainability, as well as people who are interested in entering into the field, it's a, the ability to be able to talk in a variety of different languages internally is so important. And having someone who has their own consulting firm, who is like yourself, who has been through this multiple times and in different industries and knows how to make those connections that oftentimes when a SME is sort of siloed into their day-to-day functions, it's a little difficult for them to sort of break out and say, well, let me take a step back and think about this. So I think that's a really important service that you're providing to people. And for folks who are interested in learning more about you and potentially engaging with you about services that you offer, how what is the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, the best way to get a hold of me is through my website at www.shinkasustainability.com or through LinkedIn. I have a LinkedIn page for the business under Shinka Sustainability or then my or through myself, Maureen Straub. So those are probably the two easiest ways to get a hold of me and get in touch. And I'm looking forward to working with anyone that really is looking to try to solve these or you're stuck you know, going, okay, I have all of these different priorities. What do I do? You know, all these things keep changing. My priorities keep changing. The business isn't ready to move forward quite yet. How do I get like, the, the momentum going? Um, and how do I prioritize and, and make this happen? So just for people who are who may not know how to spell Shinkas, if you are looking on LinkedIn, it's S-H-I-N-K-A. And then just my last question, where did that name come from? I'm just curious. <laughs> I laugh because I think the most challenging part about starting a business is picking a name. You start to brainstorm and it seems like everything that you brainstorm has been taken. So the inspiration behind the name of my business was really around evolution, change, and you know environmental values and i went through english names spanish names every language i could think of and then i realized that my husband's from japan and i finally i was talking to him about how i was struggling with the name and he said how about you think about this word shinka in japanese i mean it's really you know means exactly what you're trying to do in terms of evolution and true value and trying to guide and um, evolve uh, and change. So that's kind of the evolution of how we decided, how I decided on Shinka sustainability, because it's really a Japanese concept around uh, these concepts of uh, evolution and change. I think that's a great and, and amazing way to encapsulate a business and to incorporated into the DNA. So Maureen, I thank you so much for joining the ESG Matters podcast. And I thank you for your time. Thank you. And I appreciate uh, having the conversation and look forward to talking more about ESG and sustainability topics. 